Well, we're looking at this Apostles' Creed, and the three main bits start with that phrase, I believe. I believe. Now, I wonder this morning if I were to ask you that question, what do you believe? Sometimes we might think, well, I, I don't believe anything. You know, I'd like to believe, or I'm searching, but I don't believe anything. Actually, we all believe something. Even if we say we don't believe, that is a belief in something. And so this morning, as we look at this creed and what we believe, we're going to be asking and thinking and exploring what Christians believe. And everyone has faith. Everyone is believing in something. And so whatever we believe this morning, we need to understand we've taken a leap of faith. And we all believe something. And so this is some, a chance for us to explore if you're exploring and trying to find out what Christians believe, this is a good chance to find out what it is. And if we do believe, it is a good chance for us to go back to our foundations and see what it is that we believe. Now, before we look at this passage, there's another thing I just wanted to briefly mention. Because at the moment, in our day and age, there is this thinking of this. Well, why would you bother looking at something so old as the Apostles' Creed? You know, centuries and centuries and centuries the church has been saying this. And this kind of summarizes what Christians believe. But, but surely newer is truer, isn't it? You know, if it's newer, it's better. If we go backwards, surely that's, that's not something that we want to do. Now, there's no doubt, is there, that there's some things that we have today that are better than we had in the past. You think of the medical advances that we have. Just amazing what people can do now and what uh, doctors and surgeons can do. We've got technological advances that we could, uh, generations ago, could only have ever dreamed of what we can do now with technology. And in many ways, society is a lot fairer and better for a lot of people today than it was uh, centuries ago. However, are we better off for all of the advances that we've had? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? Is just newer always better? Are we happier now than we've ever been before? Have we got it sorted? Have we finally arrived at a way of government that has fixed every problem? Well, we know that we haven't, have we? Politically, are we better? Socially, are we better? Emotionally, relationally, are things better? Are we advancing? You see, just take one example of technology. As technology advances in great ways, in many ways, there's also some worrying ways that technology is being used, isn't there? and some worrying effects that technology is having on us. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, it, it was leaked that uh, Facebook, who own Instagram, okay? If you don't know what that means, don't worry, just I'll explain later if you want to know. Um, Facebook, who own Instagram, know and have had in their, um, have had the information for years that they know there is a strong link between people who use Instagram and depression. They know it's a strong link. The way Lots of um, people view their bodies as a result of seeing other people on there. They know it has a detrimental effect on people's um, mental health. So what have they done with that information? But at the moment, they haven't done much with it. Why? Because it's making a profit. It's a huge business. And so there is something that is new, but is it better? Has it made us better off? Well, is it a detrimental effect? That's just something recently that's been in the news. That's why I flag it up. But you see, just because it's newer doesn't mean it's truer or better. What if the answers that we're longing for, the answers that we're looking for, don't come from the newest, latest thing, but come right from the, the heart of the Bible and the God who made us? 
truths that are ancient, truths that we can root our lives in, aren't to be discarded. So let's come and have a look at the first part of this creed, this ancient creed that the church have said uh, for centuries and centuries. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So Genesis 1. There are three truths that that creed, that um, line in the creed tells us. It tells us that God is the Father. It tells us that he is almighty. And it tells us that he is the creator of heaven and earth. So there are our three headings for today, okay? We're going to look at um, God the Father, uh, God the Father Almighty, and God the Father, our creator. Let's look at that first one together. God the Father. Now, the first thing the creed wants us to realize is that God, the God that we worship, is a triune God. He is a God that is Trinity. Well, as I pointed out earlier, you look at the, the creed, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of three main headings. So it's based around this truth of a God being triune. And when you think of God being Father, you see what that shows us. He can't be Father unless there's a Son. He can't be. So that shows us that God has always been this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And historical Christianity has always stated this. We believe in one God, three persons united together. And it's a truth that underpins the whole Bible. And we have it right here in the first chapter. Even these words, we see God being a triune God. That word in the beginning, God, Elohim, is plural. One God, but three persons united together. God created, verse 1. Verse 2, we see the Spirit. And verse 3, the Word speaks. Now, we know from John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was Jesus. We know that. And so, in the very first um, three verses there, we have uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you look down further on in chapter uh, 1, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our own image. Who's speaking there? We have a little insight into the conversation between the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So a good question to do, a good question to ask is this, isn't it? What was God doing before Genesis 1, verse 1? What was God doing before Genesis 1, verse 1? I've asked that before, uh, and we've answered it before, but it's a good reminder, isn't it? He has always been. Nobody created God. He's always existed. And he wasn't bored. He wasn't twiddling his thumbs. But no, if, as, we, as is taught in the Bible, God is triune, he is trinity, then Father, Son, and Spirit, for eternity past, there has been this glorious, um, wonderful relationship between the Father loving the Son by the Spirit. God wasn't bored. Now, some people might say, well, but you don't see the word trinity in the Bible. That is very true. We don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but we see it being taught. We see this foundational throughout the whole Bible. And so when we realize that God is triune, it means so many great things. It tells us that God is love. Ultimately, as far back as you go, who is God? God is love, because that is who he is. Now, thinking of the Trinity, especially on a Sunday morning, think, oh, that's going to give me a headache. How do you think that God is He's one God with three persons? How do we grasp that? But the truth is wonderful news. It shows us that God is good. Now, as you read through Genesis 1, there's a rhythm to it, isn't there? There's a, a real um, flow to it, and, and the, these patterns are repeated. 
What is the word, one of the words that comes up so often? It's good, isn't it? God looked, he saw, and what he made was good. That is because he is a good father. He's a father who created a world that initially, before Genesis chapter 3, was good. And that means if God is good, we can trust him. Have you ever doubted God's goodness? Have you ever been in a situation and thought, God, how can you be good if this is happening? He is your good and perfect father, and he loves you, and we can trust him even when we don't have all the answers. Sometimes as a father or a parent to a child, a child won't understand your decisions. You'll try and tell them, no, I'm not letting you do this because it'll put you in danger, or because if you do this, that'll happen, and children just don't understand. Sometimes they just have to trust you that you are doing what's best for them. In the same way, we need to trust God. We can trust his heart even when we can't trace his hand, as Spurgeon said. See, the refrain is, it was good. And at the end of everything, he looked back and he said, it is very good. God's original plan for this world, no sickness, no pain, no death. God made what was good initially. That's why those things hurt so much, because we know that they're not, they shouldn't be here. See, this is the world that God made. And we see glimpses of it now, don't we? We see glimpses of what, uh, of the, the beauty that God has made. I want you to imagine a masterpiece of an artwork, okay? Somebody has painted this amazing artwork that's worth millions upon millions of pounds. And then, in transport one day, it falls out of the back of a lorry. I know that wouldn't happen, but imagine. And it, it's crushed everywhere, and this amazing artwork is now ruined. But if you walk, walked up closely to that artwork, even though it is ruined, you will still be able to see some beautiful brushstrokes. You'll still be able to see the signature, maybe, of the painter. You'll still be able to see the colours and, the, and the, the, the picture of what was really meant to be there. In the same way, the world that we look at, God made it good, now it's, it's ruined, but we see glimpses of the genius and the beauty and the glory behind it. God is good. The world tells us that when we look closely. God is our Father. He is good, this is us. If he's our Father, do you see what else that means? It means he's approachable. So yes, he is, we're going to look at his power in a moment. He is powerful and almighty. But it shows us that he is good and he wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to draw close. He wants you to live your life in contact with him, near to him. So he is both um, powerful and mighty, but he's also close and near. He wants to be known. So draw close to him. Don't push him away. He wants you to draw close to him. So he's good and he's approachable, but also, as I mentioned earlier, he is love. You were created because the love within the Godhead, God didn't want to keep it to himself. He wanted to share that love. Love is always wanting to look outward. Love is always wanting to serve and to look outside of itself. So God, in his love, wanted to share the love within the Godhead with us. We were created to know his love. Doesn't that make sense of who we are? If we're made, as Genesis 1 says, in God's image, that means you are precious. It means that you, are, you have a real value to your life. So whoever you are, whatever you've done, However your life has ended up, you are valuable. You are made in God's image. And that makes sense. But also what makes sense is we were made for relationship. If we're made in God's image and God is love and God is relational, we were made to be in relationship as well. 
See, when it all boils down to it, if we were to go out to the streets of my state to say, what is life all about? You know, if you really stripped it all back, people would say, well, it's about friends and family, isn't it? It's about our loved ones. Why? Because we are made to be relational. If we cut ourselves off from people, we know that dehumanizes us. We know we struggle with that, which is why a kind of a year or two years of isolation and things is, is horrible for us because we are made to be with uh, others. We're made in God's image. So God is the Father. Now, John Calvin, who's a 16th century theologian, says, um, if the only way we can really know us is to get to know God. The better we get to know God, the better we understand us, ourselves. So you see, as we think about God being Father, it's actually teaching us a lot about ourselves. So first thing, God the Father. The second thing is we see is God the Father Almighty. God the Father Almighty. Now here we need to think about the immense power that God has. And what a way to see that in Genesis 1, isn't it? Notice the phrase, another phrase that's repeated throughout, God said and there was. God said and there was. You see that just casting your eye down to the verses. God said and it was. And God speaks and it happens. He doesn't break a sweat. He doesn't need to roll up his sleeves. He doesn't get out of breath. It's all done through his word. That's all it takes. He spoke and the mountains came. The seas and the rivers rushed into place, into action. The, the trees and the flowers in all their intricate details. The animals and their complexities. He spoke and the sun and the moon came into place. We see that in verse 16. And that throwaway line, end of verse 16, and the stars. Oh, yeah, yeah the stars. And as you know, I love telling you facts about stars. And you could probably recite most of the ones I usually tell. But just to remind you, on a clear night, you can see 3,000 stars. Okay, clear night. So if you were to count them, 3,000 stars. But in our galaxy, the Milky Way, there's 200 billion stars, actually. So the numbers of stars are so hard to grasp, aren't they? So that 200 billion stars, if you were to count that, one, two, three, it would take you 6,400 years just to count the stars in our galaxy. How many galaxies are there? There's probably about 200 billion galaxies as well. So it would take you another 6,400 years to count the galaxies, and then we haven't even talked about the stars in those galaxies. And here we're told, oh, and he made the stars. I read this week that, uh, I did, you, maybe you know this, I don't know, but Pluto, which has been relegated to a dwarf planet now in our solar system, poor Pluto. Anyway, it's a dwarf planet now. We only realized that Pluto, which is in our solar system, had a moon in 1978. Did you realize that? It's taken us all the time just to find a moon on a dwarf planet that's near to us. We're not even scratching the surface. This is a vast galaxy, a vast universe, and God spoke it into being. The numbers are mind-boggling. Why? One reason is because it shows the majesty and the greatness of God. God didn't even need to lift a finger. He just spoke. We're so small, aren't we? And we make God so small as well, don't we? This is the God who is so powerful and so amazing. Our sin just wants to shrink him down, to make him small. Now, this morning... Bring your fears into the light of God's power. Bring the things that you're scared about. Bring the things that you are worried about. Bring them into the light of the one who spoke this universe into existence. All of this is his. It's nothing to him. 
See, God has the power to take the darkness and the chaotic, which it is in verses in the early verses of chapter one. It's dark and it's chaotic and it's a mess. He has the power to take that and make light and life. He has the power to take nothingness and hopelessness and to bring light and um, glory. Here's a God who maybe can take situations in your life now that might feel chaotic, might feel all over the place, might seem to have no sense at all, and he can bring order and sense and life. That's the God that we have. Now, as we think of God being almighty, there might be in the question in the back of our mind that might go something like this. If he's powerful and almighty, what about my suffering? If he has got the power to do anything, then why am I struggling? Now, as you know, there is no easy answer to that, is there? We'll be struggling with that question all of our lives. But we can know if we remember back to what we looked at with God being our Father. Even though we don't understand, He's good. That God is working all things together for good. That means however dark our suffering might seem, it's not the end. That God can use it for good. It looks like chaos to us, but God brings light from the darkness. Over the time where I wasn't well last week, I managed to listen to a few books because I couldn't read, my eyes were hurting for some reason. But I, I was listening to um, Corrie Ten Boom's um, The Hiding Place, uh, which is a wonderful book. If you haven't listened to it or read it, I'd really encourage you to, to do so. And there is somebody encouraged by her sister Betsy. She was a Jewish Christian who went to a concentration camp, who was taken to a concentration camp, Ravensbrück in Germany, and she suffered terribly. And yet, through it all, through seeing all the injustice, seeing her elderly father taken away and buried without a grave, uh, without uh, any sign of where he was buried, who suffered and struggled and saw all of that, and yet she could have faith that God was working this out for good. In the darkest, probably the darkest situation that we can think of in the the recent history, isn't it, of what happened in Nazi Germany. And yet she could see and trust, God, I, I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. And there is somebody who testifies to it. You know, she's the one who uses the illustration of the tapestry. You know, the tapestry, you look on one side of the tapestry, it's chaotic, it's a mess. You look at the other side and there's a beautiful picture. We can only see the back. We don't understand what God's doing, but he is, he is um, making this beautiful picture that we can trust in the midst of our darkness. So here's a God who is powerful, and even when we can't understand, we can trust. Another thing that recently we might be concerned when we think about God being almighty is this. Maybe you think of people who are in power, and we see how people have misused their power, especially recently, it's been coming to light in lots of different places, isn't it? And we doubt that we can doubt people who are in authority, doubt people who are, uh, uh, and their goodness, their motives being all over the place. When we look at God, the Father Almighty, how does he use his power? Just look even at the Apostles' Creed, which summarizes the Christian faith. How does he use it? He uses it to become a baby, to become a weak um, baby, to, become, to suffer death on a cross. This is a God who uses power and he uses that in order to serve us. He uses it for our good. 
when we look at the Holy Spirit indwelling believers and transforming the world one believer at a time from the inside out. This is a, he uses his power in a gentle way, if that makes sense. That's the God that we have. So can we trust this almighty Father? Yes. Look at how he uses power. He doesn't abuse it, but he uses it uh, for the, the, the sake of others. He causes people's lives to be transformed. And what those lives look like if we see the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, sacrifice, isn't it? And serving one another. So this mighty God we can trust, even when we don't understand, even when we might doubt other people's use of power, he is a God we can trust. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, and the last bit, the third section, the creator of heaven and earth. Verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That sums it all up, doesn't it? God did it. God made everything. What did he use to make it? What was his raw materials? Nothing. He had nothing. He made everything from scratch. So everything that exists only exists because God gave us the raw materials. Do you remember the joke that's told? There's this man who thinks that he's something very special. And he, he says, oh, I don't need God. And so God says to him, okay, let's see who can make the better human. Uh, but you can only use dust. Okay? So this man confidently bends down, starts handling the dust, and God says, hold on, get your own dust. You see the point. You know, God made everything from nothing. The only thing that we can do is use God's raw materials to have, to use what we have. And if God made everything, it means that we're not a random accident. It means that we have purpose. It means that there's a reason for us to be alive. We are not just random atoms that have just come together. We're not just, no, we are here for a purpose. And God engages, doesn't he, with the process of creation. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. It shows us that God isn't part of the world, as in, not everything we see is God. That's what some people might believe. Oh, everything is God, or God is in everything. No, 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 he's, he's separate from creation, but he is involved in creation. Important difference there. See, God is part, uh, is, uh, wants to be part of our lives, but he's not in everything. Like, we can't worship a tree because God is the tree. No, no, no. God is separate from his creation, but he is involved in it. So, that means that all things come from God and that all the raw materials we have has been given to us by God. He's the creator and he alone has that glory and that honor. So if he's the creator, all around us uh, is made, uh, he's made all this around us, doesn't it make sense that we praise him? Doesn't it make sense that we give him our honor and our praise? He's the one true God. He's the one who understands us best. He's the one who made all things. Psalm 90, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And we praise him. We were made to praise him. We were created to adore and worship him. And so if we don't worship God, if he is not our highest love, if he is not our highest honor, you know what's going to happen? If we remove God, we'll worship something else. We'll find something else to try and s that we'll end up serving. We'll try and find something else to give us purpose or meaning or hope. And those things that we put our trust in are not big enough to sustain the weight that we put on them. Only God is. So where have you turned to worship? 
Who are you worshipping? What are you worshipping? What are you putting all your hope and your dreams in? We're all worshipping something. And if we're a believer this morning, even though we want to worship God, sometimes we push him off that pedestal and we end up worshipping the creation rather than the creator. This morning is a good chance for us to repent, isn't it? A good chance for us to say, I'm sorry that I have been worshipping what you've made instead of um, you, the giver of all things. See, God is calling us this morning to worship him. He's the one who is all-powerful. He is the creator. Remember, if we were created, it means we worship God, but also God gives us purpose. If there's no creator, then there's no purpose. There's no reason for your existence. We're just an accident. But the Bible says you're more than that. The Bible says you are made in his image. You were created for a purpose to know and enjoy God. Now, just as we close, I wanted to finish by looking at the start of chapter 2. Because when you look at the creation account, you notice how it ends. Day seven, this almighty God who doesn't lift a finger, who just speaks creation into being, rests. Now, God is all-powerful. He doesn't grow tired or weary. So why does it end with rest? Well, this is God's way of saying this. I've done all the work. Okay? Now I want you to enjoy it. Enter my rest. To prove they've done nothing, to prove that he's the creator, to prove he's the almighty one, here's a gift for you. I have done it all. Rest in my work. It's done. And you know, in one sense, that can help us to explain the whole message of the Bible. We think so often that we need to earn our position before God. We think so often we need to get and get God's attention by doing good things and, and do our works and hopefully if we're good enough, God will accept us. But the gospel message, the message that we're going to see as we look through this Apostles' Creed is this. Jesus has done the work. He has completed it. He lived the life we could never live. He died the death we deserve to die. And he says, trust me, I've done it in your place. And as Hebrews 4 puts it, Jesus says, now enter into my rest. Stop trying to strive to earn God's love. He's done it all for you. As Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is done. Now rest. Have you been striving to try and earn God's love over this last week? Have you been striving because you know you've failed and you think, I've got to make it up to him? Jesus says, enter my rest. I've done it. What do you think the cross was for? Rest in this. Are you hoping that God will love you if you're good enough? Jesus says, you'll never do it. I have done it for you. Stop striving. Enjoy the blessing. Enjoy my gift. See, God is good. He made this world for us to enjoy. And he wants you to trust him. And the way that that is kind of summed up is when we look at Jesus on the cross, where his work is complete. And he says, it is finished. Now, the beginning of this creed, and in three places it says, I believe. Now, at the end of this, when we've gone through it all, we'll hopefully start to say this creed together, to say, I believe this. But just as we close, let me challenge you. Do you believe it? As you cast your eyes down on that, do you believe it? Not do you know it, not do you agree that it happened, but do you believe it? So one writer illustrated it. He said, suppose you've developed blood poisoning. Penicillin is an antibiotic that can cure um, blood poisoning 
but believing that penicillin can cure your blood poisoning won't cure you. What do you have to do? You have to take those capsules. You have to swallow them so that you can be cured. And that's the same with the gospel. Believing it can transform your life is one thing. Believing that it is true is one thing. But allowing it to transform you. Truly accepting this as the truth that's going to shape your life. Do you really believe? Have you really trusted? Let me encourage you. Maybe you haven't and maybe today is the time to do it. You think, you know, I look down at that list and I believe it. And I want to live my life in the light of it. And if you do, let's rejoice in this truth. This God who is the Father, the Almighty, and the Creator of heaven and earth. Let's pray before we sing our last song together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have revealed to us who you are and what you're like. And even though, Lord, we know there is so much more always to know of you, we thank you that this morning we've been able to stop and reflect on you being the Father, the Almighty One, and the Creator. Help us, Lord, we pray, please, to worship and praise you. And if there's anyone who doesn't yet believe, would they leave you saying this? I do believe, and I want to follow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.